If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. You know what time it is. Prospects and MLB Draft Talk with the Welsh. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today. I am Frank Stanfield taking a closer look at some of baseball's biggest prospects. And as always, my go-to guy is Chris Welsh, a.k.a. The Welsh. You know him, you've heard him, the host of everything in this league. And of course, his prospect pod, which you should all check out, called Prospect One. You can follow him on Twitter at, is it The Welsh? Welsh, we had a ton happen since we last spoke. How's life? How you doing? What's up, buddy? Uh, oh, I don't know. Just the best prospect in baseball coming up. I'm very excited. You know what I love, too? Still, back into the old days of uh, when I was toying around with you guys at CBS, I love that the Open still says Chris, and it still just applies. Like, I still just fit in with the crew. It doesn't say the Welsh, but it does say, uh, now to Chris, and it's like, hey, I can uh, play along. But I'm doing good, man. I'm, uh, I'm uh, thankful that you got me here. Yes, yes. That's a good point that you bring up, too, because on the football side of things, they had Ben Gretsch last year. Did great work with them. Uh, he moved on, did some other, doing some new things, but they also have their producer, Ben Schrager. So it's also applicable. So it's like, all right, which yeah. Ben are we talking about? So yeah, they're just like, hey, if we don't have to like get, <laughs> if we don't redo any of the imaging, this is fantastic. What a perfect, perfect transition. Now I just need to find a new host or someone that could come on named Adam because I don't think Adam Azer is ever talking baseball ever again. <laughs> anyway, yeah, exactly. last time we did this, it was a YouTube exclusive. What we're going to do is we're going to throw this on YouTube and we're going to throw it in the podcast feed as well. We'll break it into two separate videos, one for MLB prospects and then a shorter video that we'll do towards the end talking about some MLB draft names that you need to know Ooh, yeah. for your four, first year player drafts. If you're doing them later this year, early in 2022, whatever it might be, we'll take a very, very early look. But let's jump in. You already mentioned the name. Super mm. prospect Wander Franco with the Rays made his debut on Tuesday and he did it with a bang. Welsh two for four with a double, a walk, a game tying three run homer at, t- at the time. And he flashed everything. He had the bat speed. He's flying around the bases. He made an awesome double play in the field too. Not that that really matters for fantasy, but it was cool to see him flash all of those different tools and he was destroying the minors. He 100% earned this call up. And while we should be very excited, I just want to caution people that we saw Jared Kelnick have a great second game with the Mariners as well when he was here. So what are your realistic expectations for Wander Franco? 
they're pretty high. I don't know, too. I mean, this is a total like me, me, me thing I'm going to do here, but we got to do it sometimes. Uh, on uh, my other show in this league, the Fantasy Baseball Podcast, I feel so confident about Juan Franco. I did this uh, prior. To, we knew the call-up was happening, so I did this on the Monday show, and I never do this. I said, Bogman, Wander Franco is going to hit a home run in his debut. So all the listeners heard me do it. Then, but an hour before the game started up, I said, you know what? I'm going to game thread this. I said, what's the line? And Frank, I said, two for four with a homer <laughs> and a walk. But I also said a strikeout and a single. So I was a little bit wrong. But I I was feeling Wander Franco. And I've always felt that. And you know, one of the big, huge offseason debates, and it, it was really very specific to this year, by the way, was Kelnick, for many people, started to pass Wander Franco. And for a multitude of reasons, there was some less than exciting data over on the alt site stuff, launch angle, exit velocity. But also, it wasn't as much about Wander Franco, I think, coming down as it was people getting excited about Jared Kelnick. So you bring up the idea of like, hey, how do these two mix and where do we go with it? Listen, I've always been the Wander Franco guy. I have not varied away from it. Even when Kelnick was coming up, I'm Wander Franco, number one overall. And he proved a lot of that. The thing we have to be cautioned about is, you know, Kelnick in that first game, he hit the ball really hard, didn't do much. Then he hits his homer and we get all excited. But the profile is very different. And that's why I've been excited about Wander Franco. He's showing the ability to continue to still run. He's lost a little bit of weight. Rays wanted him to do that. You can see how his bat plays. This is the thing I've always been banking on. And even if you go and look over at any of the projection systems, like the bat, let's say, the bat had Kelnick as a 220 guy, 230 guy for this year and still had Wander as a 290 guy. It's counting stats between the guys. So listen, I'm bullish on Wander Franco. I've always been. This is the guy I want to bank on. I love him for this season, but that doesn't mean redrafters shouldn't consider moving off of Wander Franco because it's volatile. Like he has great, great presence. Had didn't strike out, walked. He worked that. What was so amazing is I think in his first game, and I'm rambling here, Frank, but you got me talking about Wander. No, no, it's perfect. This is why you're here. The only swing he had outside of the zone was that homer in that first game. You know, he worked an 0-2 count to a walk in his first at bat. Like this is a this is a professional hitter. And it's not to say that Kelnick isn't, but Wander is a different type of hitter, but it's counting stats that are the question. But that doesn't mean you don't proceed with caution with rookies and take advantage of the hype. I mean, our boy Scotty, you know, Scotty White had Kelnick coming out when he came up as like a top 25 outfielder. Imagine what you could have got to where you are right now. The same thing could apply for Wander. So it, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth to say that like, I'll hold, I'll go because I believe in him, but it also doesn't mean I'm not going to listen on offers, at least in redraft. All right, so let's talk about that redraft value because I've got my rankings pulled up here and I have Wander Franco currently as the 16th shortstop in Roto League. So I have okay. him just behind names like Jazz Chisholm, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Chris Taylor. Is that too high, too low? We've talked about a lot on the podcast recently. Uh, Scott and Chris Bolt said, if you can turn Wander Franco into someone like Corey Seager, or a top 20 starting pitcher in fantasy, that's something you should look into doing. What do you think yeah. about those two statements? Okay, so the first one, you like you nailed it. You and I are uh, compatico here. Like We're right on one because a, a couple of the names, like Jazz, I think is a really good name. I would go on Wander. Wander's just a, a better hitter. Maybe counting stats could go a little bit with Jazz, but you know, you've had some injury stuff. Um, but IKF, shout out to my boy Spore, IKF Spore. Uh, Isaiah Kanafalefa, 
He's the fascinating one. And I had brought him up in our episode of kind of talking about this because I, I put out a poll and I was, I don't know if you saw this poll and people just went with it. I said at that moment, the moment of the call up, you also had Adalberto Mondesi going on the IL. And I asked people, I said, who'd you rather have rest of season? Frank, do you know what that poll did? You know what the results were? It was IKF versus Juan Franco. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to bring it back to IKF. It was the first talking about shortstops. It was Wander versus Alberto Mondesi. Mondesi, the day okay. went on the IL. Wander got called up, hadn't performed yet. This was rest of season. Which shortstop, which guy do you want? I think 1,500. I'll say like 70% Wander Franco. 82% wow. Wander Franco. So, wow. hey, so think, so I'm just building up that hype there for a minute, just for to understand. Like, I know Mondesi's on the IL and stuff, and, you know, the injuries got people frustrated, but just think of Mondesi for a minute and think of 82% wanted Wander Franco, who had not, like, you know, hadn't at bat yet. And obviously, Mondesi was hurt. So, the reason IKF is so fascinating is because you would salivate if you got what IKF is doing in Wander Franco the rest of the year. I mean, if, if you just wanted to stop for a second and say this is the first half, you know, I know there's a couple more. Um, IKF has 300 bats under his belt for the year. 15 stolen bases and six homers with a 280 batting average. You would be ecstatic to get that from Wander Franco. It's just, it's coming from Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And that is what brings people back. I don't think Wander, I mean, you would just go nuts if you got 15 stolen bases out of Wander because that's not his game. Six homers, the bat only has him projected at eight homers in 70 games the rest of the year. So it's not that far off. So I think IKF would be fair because you would be ecstatic to get a 280 batting average, six homers, 15 stolen bases from a rookie rest of year. But the star power, the potential, the place that he's batting in the order, they're difference makers. The upside goes further than IKF that you should be able to get more. So all I do is turn it back around to tell you that, yeah, if you can, if you can shoot for the moon and you can get into the, I mean, you're not going to get Bogarts, but I don't know, like, you know, Simeon kind of tapered off a little bit. Could you swing something like that in a redraft? Um, a Tim Anderson, something like that. Like I would definitely am game for those, but IKF is the line to me and I wouldn't kill anybody for trading Wander for him for the rest of this year because I think IKF can still outperform with those stolen bases but I think you can shoot a little bit higher yeah so the name that we we continuously go to is Corey Seager who's like working his way back he's going on a yeah. rehab assignment so maybe it's like early July right after the all-star break would you do that if you could turn Wander Franco into Corey Seager See, and that's why I did the Mondesi one. That was why I opened up with Mondesi because you guys are on the exact same plane as I am. It's like, hey, guys, look at, look at peak value Wander. Would you sell him for Mondesi? Who Mondesi, you know, when he's playing, he's doing good. You know, he could be a top 25 guy. Seager's right in that range. It, the, here's the only thing I don't like about it is like, and the same thing with Mondesi is like, he's hurt right now. And Corey Seager has a, just a propensity to get hurt. Like he could absolutely have a setback I probably do it, especially if my team is relatively well off because I feel like I could take that gamble. I don't know. I think I think you could also turn that down. I think you could. I'm not saying you should because, you know, we have a track record of rookies not working more than they are. Wander is different, of course. But, um, you know, when Seager's there, he's going to be a monster. And, you know, he's improved his, uh, his hard hit and, you know, BB events. Just everything has just been so good when he's out there. It's literally just the worry that he retracts the injury. But you know what? Uh, talking myself through all of this, trying to not answer it. Yeah, I probably would. 
Yeah, no, I think your point about roster construction and where you're at in the standings, like if you're yeah. higher up and you can afford to turn Wander Franco into someone who we know is a proven player and a proven elite player, then sure, why not? I mean, Wander Franco might go on to be great for the rest of the season, but it's still kind of a, a risky thing to, to play with yeah. there. So uh, look, lots of hype and rightfully so. If you're watching us on YouTube, even if you're listening, why not? Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit that big red subscribe button. Tap the notification bell. You'll get notified every single time we go live or we drop a video. YouTube.com slash fantasy baseball today. We mentioned Jared Kelnick, who is currently not making much noise in the minors. He's batting just 204 with a 696 OPS this month at AAA. The good news is the strikeout rate is right around 19% during that span. So, Welsh, I hope he's not in his own head right now or anything, that the confidence is down because of what happened in the major leagues, but when do you think we see Jared Kelnick again in the majors, and would you continue to hold on to him in redraft leagues? <sighs> All of those are big. Uh, I do think what you said, I think he is in his head. Um, this is exactly, and I, I think like the last time I was on was around the Kelnick stuff, and we talked yeah. about this. The thing I had been spouting was, I'm concerned with the streaks of Jared Kelnick. Like, He's dominating, you know, double A down players. Uh, he's got such hard hit numbers. And, you know, he really is. A, he's a great player. He's a great athlete. And like from a dynasty perspective, am I worried? No. I mean, maybe like the tiniest iota of this stuff, but this stuff happens. But this is what I've known of him. He's not the I don't think his approach in uh, as far as like a contact is the exact same as Wander Franco. So I saw this coming, but not to this extreme. I think like like you said, I think he's in his head. Um, He's done. There's some stuff on the personal side, like he's got some you know, signings that he does that he's canceled just to fully focus on baseball. And he's still got, you know, some of the counting stats, the three homers, three stolen bases. That's great. He's still doing it. He's not striking out in a ridiculous clip. He had like the league's worst Babbitt up in the majors. And I don't know, you have that. And then you go to AAA and you hit 200 while still having some of the underlining stuff. That feels like you carried the weight of everything that happened at the majors down to AAA. I think he's massively in his head. From a redraft perspective, I would hold if I can. This is not the year where we could just like flippantly say like, oh yeah, just hold on to him. Because you know how many leagues I have where I literally cannot IL players on my bench or cut them because they're so good? So I can't just openly say like, yeah, just keep him everywhere. He's a must keep. He's not, but I would try to. When he comes back up, I'd like to tell you, I think he comes up post all-star um, break, but there's no way they can bring him back up without a massive injury if he's hitting 200. Like he has got to put a couple weeks under him. I would imagine, I don't know if he's going to go to the futures game. He hasn't performed at that level, but I could see them wanting to do it. I think at this point, it's like a mid-July, uh, a mid, uh, I'll say mid-July, but that's all-star break. Probably late July, late July-ish, unless he pulls it together. Um, and I'm holding out the hope, and that's why I would hold on to him, because there's a possibility of post-all-star break. Yeah, so that would be about a month away from now. We're recording this on Thursday, June 24th. Jared Kelnick, 69% rostered on CBS. Nice. So it might be available yeah. in some 10, some shallower 12-team leagues, but... You're absolutely right, Welsh. Like, it's tough to hold on to all these players right now. I have a league. I share a team with Adam Azer, our podcast points league, where just this week I lost Aaron Savale. Marcus Stroman just had an MRI on his hip. I lost Tyler Glass now the week before that. I lost Jack Flaherty the week before that. And I think we only have three or four IL spots. Just completely random aside. How many IL spots do you think that we should be playing with in redraft leagues? Because 
Like this has gotten ridiculous. Like there's data that shows that IL placements are up. I think it's last time I saw it was Derek Rhodes who does great work with this. You can follow him on Twitter. Uh, I think it was like IL placements are up 30% this year. I kind of feel like we need at least five or six IL spots. It should be no less than five in my eyes. Uh, here's where I struggle a little bit because you know, I play a lot of dynasty and stuff. And I think it's really difficult to put restrictions on uh, IL spots in Dynasty. So like if you take the platform of like Fantrex's platform, you know, they'll just have like unlimited. And I kind of like that, but I understand that there is actually a strategy to having limited IL spots because then it forces people's hands and they have to cut. And I buy that. So in Dynasty, I really think if you can go above five, you should. Uh, maybe you don't have to go unlimited, but just anything under five right now is crazy. And, and uh, something I personally hate is I hate restrictions on capping the amount of IELs. Yahoo does that. You cannot have more than five. And I don't know if I have a, a single one of my leagues in there that have less than five right now. So I think there's an argument to go more. More than ever, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fantasy is fun guy. I know there's so much more going on in our lives where you know we're battling with um, DFS and gambling and there's more money involved and it's serious and stuff. But I'm still a very big fantasy is supposed to be fun guy. So if you told me like, hey, we need eight because this is stupid, I'd be like, yeah, let's do whatever we have to do to make sure that our leagues are really fun. And I'm not like that type of stuff is a little bit beyond me where it's, you know, the, there'll be always be one guy in your league. that will be like, well, you know, it's a strategy of the five. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, dude, well, let's all have fun. So yeah, let's go as many as possible, especially you, that number's ridiculous. A 30% higher rate of ILs this year. You were saying, we were saying off air too, where every year we're always like, oh, you know, this is the worst year. This is the craziest year. But like, this is like this is yeah. nuts. This is this is more nutty than the pandemic season we just had. This is crazier than it was last year. So, yeah, we should uh, do whatever we've got to do to make sure we're all having as much fun as possible. So we don't lose ourselves in baseball and lose people to not wanting to play fantasy baseball, because I really think that's on the line with how baseball has treated their own sport how fantasy is going. Uh, I think all those lines, we should do whatever we can to make sure that people want to come back. Yes, very well said. And MLB just needs to get out of their own way at this point. We have guys like Sergio Romo pulling his pants down <laughs> on the mound. Joe Girardi wants to fight Max Scherzer. So great. This is a crazy... But, but remember, remember, Manfred said, like, first couple days, we're doing great. It's like, all right, bud. Doing great. Yeah. Doing great. Yeah, yeah totally You're doing great, man. <laughs> Let's get back to... He's like, the, by the way, he, he, uh, <laughs> to me, it's like the girl... Uh, have you ever seen the meme with the girl swinging while everything's on fire around? <laughs> Rob Manford is the girl on the swing as literally everything is on fire around. Yeah. Sorry. I love that. No, it's a great analogy. Uh, let's get back to the ALEs prospects and talk about Jaron Duran, outfield prospect with the Boston Red Sox. And already mentioned we're recording this on Thursday, January 24th. And at this moment, Duran is batting 291 with 13 homers, seven seals, and an OPS over 1,000. He's also got a strikeout rate down to a very respectable 23%. I know that was up in the high 20s for a lot of his minor league season. The kid is hot. He's got three home runs in his last five games. Welsh, is it just a matter of time for Jaron Duran? Because it seems like he represents a clear upgrade over guys like Kike Hernandez and Danny Santana, who the Red oh. Sox are throwing out in center field. Can you believe that like Danny Santana was like leading all like in center and stuff for it during that wander game? It was so um, it was so embarrassing. Yeah. Jaron Duran, he's one of those guys that I think I might have been most wrong on in the last 12 months, uh, well, 18 months or whatever. The Arizona Fall League. In 2019, he didn't look great. Um, just a swing path, just every, every to be honest, with you, just everything. Everything was not good. Uh, 
everyone was kind of down on him. He's got like small ankles and stuff. So people were questioning, you know, could he tap in? And he made this major change. He went out and played the Dominican Winter League. Um, and then he, this season, really was able to kind of like tap into this swing change, which he started hitting for power, played for Team USA. He's hit at every single point this season. Even in June right now, as we're recording this, he's posted a 306 batting average with a 397 OBP, uh, 13 homers, seven stolen bases on the year. Everything about him has made the change. He belongs there. But there is this weird thing that's still going on that I would probably be able to say to many players we're going to talk about here. And it comes back to what like Craig Council had said about Keston Hira like a month or so ago that he said the transition from AAA to the majors is bigger than it's ever been before. And it's probably like a multitude of different reasons. The ball is beginning to change. Uh, you've got new rules. You've got the sticky stuff. Like it's expanding every day that things are changing. And it's just interesting to hear managers say that that gap has widened ever before. And we've had multiple teams on some of these big hot prospects, tell us the same thing that doesn't matter what's in front of them. It's not going to change the timeline of when they want to bring up guys that applies to Bobby Witt and it's applied to Jaron Duran. And they, there's nothing they wanted to do with Jaron Duran. He successful in May played for team USA was great. He's been awesome in June. The only things you could pick apart are maybe some of his splits. He's dominating lefties right now, hitting 395 against lefties, only 250 against righties. But uh, against righties has been his power side. 10 of his 13 homers have come against righties. So there's something you could pick apart that he might be susceptible if he's not hitting lefties as well, that um, he could go through maybe like an extended struggle period of at least batting average, which you know might affect him tapping into that power. But I think he's ready. I don't see why you don't bring this guy up right now. He's a five-tool potential player. They need some studs. You could put him, you know, really, I love the idea of putting him like between you know, with Bogart's endeavors and a lot of protection and stuff. And I think he's ready. I think he's ready. So I think it's embarrassing that they still have Danny Santana out there. Let the kids play. Why not? And I want to see Jaron Duran. And I think he's one of the guys that everyone should be locked into as the next big pickup. I think he's a guy that comes right off of the, uh, the futures game. I've, there's no doubt in my mind that he's in the futures game. And I think it's like, after all of that, he doesn't even go back to AAA. He's just going to the majors. You know, you brought up the splits here, and he's a left-handed batter, and he's crushing lefties. So that's crushing, super interesting. And I, look, some I've been playing this forever. I love guys that have good splits, man. Like lefties who can hit lefties. Yordan Alvarez, I love it. I, it's especially for a prospect when you can point to that in the minors. Like, yeah, of course, I'd love for him to be hitting righties well, but I'm not worried about that. I, I think he's going to be able to hit righties just fine. Yeah. The fact that he's performing against lefties, that's that's very exciting. I think, I think it's very Durant. exciting. It's also just like he, his success outside of the homers is very weighted on the lefties. You're hitting 395 against lefties. Like, yeah. I, I would like it to, to sparse out. But you know what? Like you said, it's not like he's hitting... 212 against righties and 395 against lefties. It, 250 is respectable. And if he is a dominant lefty dominator and, and he just goes to being a 300 hitter versus lefties, you're still good to go. Guy needs to get up. I mean, if anything, he's the anti-Vidal Brujan, you know, where Brujan was, and I would talk about him, was so up and then kind of come back down. Jaron Duran has been consistent the whole year. He's earned it. Yeah, and there, I like that you bring up Bruhan because Bruhan was more so known as a speedster. He's got some hit, and this year he's kind of tapped into uh, the power, and it's the same for Jaron Duran. And I was watching him in spring training, and I can't talk about what he looked like back in 2019, but in 2019, he hit 303, only five homers, 46 steals. So he's more of a speedster at that point. This year, he's he's tapped into the power. In spring training, this guy's huge. Like, 
he's jacked. I, I don't know if you could talk more about like the body transformation. Maybe he used to be skinnier. He's been working out, putting on some muscle, but like he was a, he was a beefy dude, Welsh. Yeah, I mean, he's he definitely looks like he added some of that weight. I mean, like I said, when he was here, I was around him multiple times and all right, uh, really small lower half. And that's just something like if you're really talking about someone being an impact power player, you're not looking for like ankles that I could, you know, put my hand around or something like that. And that's kind of what it was. And so we would pick on the lower power numbers then pick on a small lower half and then not really results. And it was kind of like, you know what? Jaron Duran might be overrated, but then obviously workout routine workout just went. He went to the Dominican, came back, looked like he built up his upper body, was able to make a swing change and he tapped in. And that, and that's like the key to some of these guys sometimes is when you've got a bunch of power and you find a guy that's able to tap in at every level of their own success those are winners. Those are guys that you want to bet on. Like, does he have some negatives? Yeah, I think so. I think the, 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 the swing change is great and the power looks like it's real, but I mean, I think people are starting to bank on like 30 plus. I'm not sure that it's there, um, but it looks like he has tapped into every point of his potential and that's something to bank on. And listen, like, He's made a massive move in my rank. I, I had really buried him after 2019. I was kind of out. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I mean, he's a no doubt like top 30 prospect right now. And he's literally at the top of the list of um, if you want to bank on any prospects the rest of this year, that's a guy that you should uh, you should be locking into. Yeah. And you brought up a 30 home run projection. Even if he gets to at his peak 270, 2020, that's a really, really productive player for fantasy baseball. Yeah. So uh, hopefully he can get to something like that. He's 29% roster on CBS. Well, would you rather stash him or Jared Kelnick at this point? Ooh, um, I would. That's a really good one. You know, I would still go Kelnick simply because I would not be shocked if Kelnick beat the timeline. Because my only thing is, is it's like Jared has been uh, or Jaron Jaron has been so good for this period of time that like are the Red Sox really just going to just let him succeed for the rest of the year? Or what are they doing? Are they building it up for trade value? Um, are they going to bend? I just don't know if they're going to bend because what else does he need to do? He's gone through USA. He's he's both months he's stacked in. Like, what are they waiting for that they could just, they, they could hold it back. Like I say that I think he's going to come right after uh, the Futures game, but uh, it's a possibility they could just wait until August where Kelnick, any, anything can happen and an injury could, they could just bring him back in and let him have another shot. And I think when Kelnick is on, I want Kelnick over Jerry Duran with like, without question, I'm going to bank on that. So I'd, I'd play the upside because again, in redraft, even though I'm a prospect guy, I'm really not that interested in prospects. I would rather move them if I have them. Cause very, it's very, it's not very often that these guys really pan out for long periods of time. You know, look at Robert and Kyle Lewis. They were some of the best players in baseball, but had you sold them, you could have won your league because they both just bottomed out at the back end of the year. So I'm, I'm just not the biggest prospect redraft guy. All right, let's talk about, uh, we already talked about Wander Franco earlier, and let's talk about his former teammates, Vidal Brujan and Josh Lowe. I mm. get confused with the Lowe, the Lowe. Nate, he's, he's Nate's brother. Yeah, I was going to ask you, it's kind of awkward, right? Like they traded his brother away from the organization. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. So uh, during that fall league, uh, Josh Lowe was, uh, he was out here and I interviewed him and I interviewed him. Uh, we were on field uh, at the Cubs stadium out here in Arizona. And this was when the Rays were in the World Series and Nate was around, you know, he was around with them. And I, and I was talking with Josh about, you know, just are they talking and are they on the phone? And Josh said they were you know trying to talk every day and that they're also really competitive and that Josh and Nate 
were competitive at every front as far as even power and speed because Josh was always a stolen base guy. This year, he's got eight stolen bases. And um, Josh said, though, that he was like ultra competitive as far as power and wanted to be a match for that guy. So um, and we talked about the also the Brandon Lau because he was in the organization. But Josh and Nate are brothers. And Josh is a really, really smart baseball player and a great dude. And you're seeing it this year. He's having massive success. Yes. So let's talk about him and Bruhan. Bruhan, as hot as he was in May, he's hit some bumps in the road in June. He's batting just 182 with a 605 OPS. The plate discipline is really strong, though, still. So I, I do like to see that from Vidal Bruhan not striking out all that much. Has, I think it's one less walk than strikeouts, like seven walks to eight strikeouts. So still really good plate discipline there. And then Josh Lowe, former first round pick back in 2016. He's tearing it up. He's batting 307, nine homers, eight steals, zero caught stealing. So really like the efficiency there from him. Two exciting prospects, but I just read yesterday that the only way either gets a call to Tampa is if an injury happens because Tampa values defense and they want guys like Manuel Margot and Kevin Kiermeyer or Brett Phillips in their outfield. And yeah. that's not to say that Josh Lowe is a great defender. He might be. I really don't know. I know Bruhan is still kind of learning the outfield there. So what do you think about that? Do you think it takes an injury to get one of these guys to the majors? Uh, <clears throat> or a trade. I'd say a trade. I, I've speculated. Uh, this was one of those things I was right about because there was this big like thing like a month or six weeks ago where it was like, who gets there first, Vidal or Franco? And a lot of people thought Vidal because, you know, May he was dominating and, Fra and Franco like in the early stages was fine. But um, Vidal is kind of moving off. He, he's position. He's not positionless. He's just positionally all over the place because he was a second baseman for a long time. He's now transitioning to the outfield. But so is Josh Lowe. Josh Lowe is an infielder who's also learned to play the outfield spots. He started doing that in 19 out here in the fall league. He was exclusively playing in the outfield. So you've got two guys that are in the exact same position and it is injury, but I also, I think like Kiermaier is going to go. I, I think Kiermaier is a player that they could move on from. They could be putting on the block and when they do, it's one of these guys, but I'm just not so certain who, certain who it is anymore because like Kelnick, if you have options, how do they put Vidal in that lineup after he's hitting 182 in June and he's still showing some struggles. He's not hitting lefties. He's hitting 210 against lefties this year, but he's been mashing in every other capacity where Lowe has been good. Lowe right now has a 345 slash in June and he's been pounding up the stats and he's got the same exact versatility as Vidal Bruhan. Just Bruhan has the potential to be a little bit more impactful, I think, you know, obviously on the base paths and you've got to believe in the power. I'm not like, like Prospects Live is way bigger on Vidal. And I think for all intents and purposes, they've been right on Vidal because I, I've always kind of tapered and tempered my expectations on him because of the power. This year, he tapped into the power, but I'm not a Vidal top 10 overall prospect guy. I still, and I think he's showing some of the deficiencies, even though there's great underlining stuff. So to answer your question, it doesn't just take an injury. It could take a trade, which this team could move off of, but also... One of these guys could be trade bait. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see the the Rays with all the flexibility use one of these players to make a move for more arms or something like that. Uh, I still lean that it's Vidal, and I would still be adding him. But don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if you know Kiermaier goes down or gets traded, and then Lowe is the person that's brought up, and it's not Vidal Bruhan because it's just hard to bring these guys up at this spot. And Vidal is a little bit more greener. In as far as learning the new position, Lowe has been doing this since 19. Vidal, over the last um, 
And Vidal kind of knew it in the fall league, by the way, we had chatted with him and he, someone had asked him about, you know, where he would play. And he even said, I just want to play up the middle. And he meant shortstop second or center field. And I think he's still learning it a little bit more than uh, Lowe is. So I wouldn't be shocked if Josh Lowe is the guy, either one I'm picking up if the call is made because they can be fantasy impact players. Yes, and both offer power-speed combinations as we've seen so far in the minors. We would be remiss not to mention Joe Adele and Bobby Witt Jr. Joe Adele is hitting for a ton of power at AAA. He's batting 271 with 16 home runs, but plate discipline still remains poor. 32% strikeout rate to just a 5% walk rate for Joe Adele. And then Bobby Witt Jr. is on an absolute tear right now at AA. 338 batting average. Four homers, five steals with a much improved 21% strikeout rate in the month of June. I still think that Adele needs some work in the minors. Well, so we get a lot of questions. Oh, when is Joe Adele going to come up? They're starting yeah. Juan Ligaris and Taylor Ward in the outfield. Though Taylor Ward has looked pretty good recently. Uh, but with Witt, any chance the Royals call him straight up from double A or is that just like way too aggressive? Yes, I think there is a possibility. But Dayton Moore continues to just like when Mondesi went down. Uh, th- this kind of sparked some of that uh, question with the Juan Franco stuff, too. He immediately came out and said, hey, listen, Mondesi's injury is not going to impact us bringing up Bobby Witt. It ha- will have nothing to do with it. At the same time, though, the team was like, you know, oh, Bobby could maybe break camp. He's that good. I think I think Bobby Witt does make his debut this year. I just don't know if it's at any point of impact, and I don't think he needs to go to AAA. But he had some early struggles. Like, batting average is still getting up there. He's still ramping it up, but he's been so hot for the last month that I think, you know, positionally, he can help in multiple spots, especially if something went down. Even though they say, like, Mondesi won't impact, if Mondesi, like, went down for the entire year, if, if something they just shut him down, I think Witt can come up. I think this is an after-futures uh, game situation. Realistically, though, I don't think you see Bobby until August, if they even do it. But if he's got that batting up, average up to 300, I think they would want to give him a taste of the majors this year going into winning a job coming out of camp next year. So I think we could see Bobby, uh, but I would not put money down if you were like, who do we see first, Adele or Bobby Witt? I don't know, because I don't know what the Angels are looking for in Joe Adele, because I think you see who he is. He's hitting 271 at AAA. He's still over 30% K rate. Interesting about him, prior to this year, the four levels between like triple and double and majors, his walk rate has just continuously got worse. It just keeps getting worse. And this year, it's down. It's under 5%. It's like the worst that it's been. He just doesn't walk. He couldn't hit off speed. He's selling out high fastballs to try to hit off speed. And it's clearly his issue. And this year he's destroying lefties, kind of like we talked about with um, with Jaron Duran, destroying lefties, 352, but the power is coming on the right-handed side where he's hitting only 250. 12 of his 16 homers have come against righties. He's just got so many things that the Angels don't want to play around with it. But I would not be a betting man to tell you who comes up first because I think the angels are so enamored with Adele needing to be fixed that like wit could just pass him and come up. But both of those guys I think are fringy difficult to even roster right now in hopes of this season. Uh, Adele probably, I, I suppose a little bit better to have more impact, but you know, I'm not sold. Adele doesn't come back up and hit 184 again. Yeah, it's, he's one of the harder ones to project right now because yeah. if he's striking out 30 per, 32% at AAA, what's going to happen in the majors? Is it going to be 35, well, 40%? Well, and dude, you're like, 
you hit, you're striking out over 30%. You're walking less than 5% and you're only hitting 270. And this is like a top prospect in triple A. Like, yes, the book is out on you. The The Angels lower level minor league development has been under scrutiny, scrutiny for a long time. Uh, they had this major controversy at the low, low levels out here in Arizona of like swing changes and players just not even going within the organization and going outside the organization on how they are going to develop their swings and stuff. And that's not great. And that's not like, I don't know. Like Joe Adele, I would love to see Joe Adele not with the Angels, to be honest with you, and go to a place that has just like a really, really, really good feel on hitting and hitting coaches and someone that could work with him because he needs the work. And I think the Angels know he needs the work. The problem is I feel like they've just sent him to AAA and they're just like, good luck, kid. Wow. You know, good luck. Have fun. And it's like, no, that's not what this guy needs. This guy is massive, massive skyrocketing talent that is not being tapped into. And I feel like he's doing it on his own. And I'm really worried he's going to come back up and struggle like really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rough, it's a rough go at it for Joe Adele. Yeah. Maybe a change of scenery is what he needs, but let's take a look at some pictures real quick before we move over to the MLB draft prospects and Hunter green reds pitching prospect was recently oh, promoted to triple a and he struggled in his first start there and then bounced back with five shutout innings, added six strikeouts. This is a loaded question, Welsh, but <laughs> is Hunter Green now the best pitching prospect left in the minors at just 21 years old? Any chance do you think we see him with the Reds as well? Um, This year? Yes. No, I'd say absolutely not. Uh, zero. I, I mean, I would, I'd say this, clip this, and then he you know comes up to the majors and, L, and it's LOL on me. I'd say 0% chance. Uh, that he comes up to the majors because he's missed significant time. I was actually at the backfield. I mean, I've said, probably said this a million times before. I was on the backfield for his last throw. I was there on the throwing session that he then ended and then had Tommy, Tommy John surgery. Like I've seen him work through. He's missed such significant time that the Reds have to see a full healthy season. That's the most important thing. It's not about him coming up and like, if he came up, I think you could put him in the bullpen and he could help you a little bit, but why? Like, why are they going to do that? Um, I, you know, you're saying him the best. I would say no, he's not the best pitching prospect in baseball. It, uh, an interesting question might be, is he the best Reds pitching prospect? Because Nick Lodolo is not as sexy, but Lodolo has been absolutely dominant. What I think Hunter Green is, and I think there's just this like, big clump of positive starting pitchers that you could bet on, but I'm the guy that wants to pay for the bottom of a tier. So like, my top pitching tier, it's about six guys deep from like six to Grayson Rodriguez. And there's like six guys in there. Whoever costs me less, I'll buy. Whoever gets me more in a trade, I'll trade away. Then there's another secondary tier of guys that I think start up where it's like Kirby and Gore and maybe Matt Manning. You could throw Emerson Hancock, DL Hall, those guys. And then I would say Hunter Green is near the top of the third tier of players that their stuff is great. I mean, Hunter Green so far in the minor leagues as we're recording this right now, second in baseball in, in, in minor league baseball with 74 strikeouts. And, you know, his walks have been an issue before only 18 walks and 50 innings pitch, which is pretty good for him. He's had eight strikeouts or more in seven of his nine games. He's doing all the stuff, spin his back a little bit on the fastball. He's being consistent. It's everything you want to see, but he's still got questions and he's had injury questions. So he's the top of the third tier of guys. So he is a borderline top 50 overall prospect depending how you value pitching. He's a guy to bet on because he's electric. He's got a huge, big electric fastball that guys used to question. I remember when he first came up that a couple players had uh, from other teams when he was pitching around had said like, yeah, it's 101, 102. But if it's 101, 102 and it's flat straight, 
they're still going to hit it. And that was his problem. And he's worked on that. So he has been the ultimate process player, but sky is the limit athletically. People forget he was like a two-way player too. He would have been a first round um, pick as a shortstop as a hitter. So he's a super athletic player who can throw a hundred plus his secondaries are starting to work. He's consistent. So he's on the trajectory to move up. I would say his arrow is moving up maybe more than any pitcher. Him and Cade Cavalli, biggest arrows up in the top 100 of all starting pitchers. That's how I would say it. Yeah, and you mentioned the fastball being really hard, but straight. It kind of reminds me of when Nathan Avaldi first got called up. Everyone's talking, oh, 98, 99 miles per hour. Straight as an arrow. <laughs> it didn't yeah. matter. And, you know, Avaldi's done some things in his career, and he's turned out to be a serviceable pitcher, but not really anything we ever thought he could be based on that velocity. So it's a good point that you bring up there. And you touched on this a little bit with the strategy of when, when you were talking about tiers and value. And we had yeah. a question on the podcast earlier in the week, and they asked, should you try and sell high on pitching prospects in dynasty leagues when they're performing this well, since projecting pitchers in the majors is so hard to do? And Scott and I kind of answered the question, and we said, like, yeah, we're more likely to try and acquire pitchers in Dynasty once they're already established, once they're in the majors, because we have all these lower-level prospects that come up and, and turn into studs. Shane Bieber obviously comes to mind there. Jacob sure. deGrom, I mean, originally a shortstop prospect. What do you think about that? Do you try and cash in on pitching prospects while that arrow is pointing up, like a Hunter Green or even a Cade Cavalli that you mentioned? Uh, if I may, hell yeah. Oh, yeah. That is number one strategy for sure. It's, it's sell-off pitching prospects when the value's up. I could see I could get a little bit convoluted. Um, I could see Scott, like I would love if Scott was here to talk to him about it because I know Scott would immediately go into points minds and points leagues. Eh, it's a little bit different because the value on the starting pitchers is like this whole nother ball game. So it's like I would always preface. It's not one for one in this. But yeah, as an overarching statement, I would always be looking to sell, especially if people want to be aggressive and taking advantage like Kate Cavalli and Hunter Green are interesting, though, because like. If they're in your mind, if, if you are putting Hunter Green, like, could he be the number one guy? And I, if I can sell Hunter Green or Cade Cavalli as like a top three overall pitching prospect in the minor leagues, I'm doing it. I'm just not sure that's the case. I don't think if you really start to like bear down and it's like, do you value him over Grayson Rodriguez, who is the re most ridiculous number one uh, swinging strike percentage, like not even close. It's over 20% in the minors right now. Do you value him over George Kirby, Gore still, Alec Manoa? So that's why like if you put them up, if the overvalue is there, sell them all day. But it's just not a dynasty strategy to hold on to those guys. Also, people ask me all the time, like, hey, you know, I can trade Wander Franco and I can get, I don't know, Nick Gonzalez and uh, George Kirby. Would you do it? No, I don't want, don't sell me on pitching prospects in Dynasty if I'm rebuilding or if it's a, you know, Xander Bogarts and I can get Nick Gonzalez and George Kirby. No, give me hitters. I want to sell pitchers because there's always a crop that are undervalued and there's going to be, there already is another crop of those guys that are coming up. We're going to talk about one of them, Luis Medina, who's a Yankees prospect. You've got guys like Daniel Espino, who is, I think he's got the highest swinging strike percentage or, uh, or K percentage, one of the two of a 20-year-old. There's no 20-year-old that has a higher strikeout rate essentially than Daniel Espino. Bobby Miller, there's a whole crew of guys, Blake Walston, that are going to come next. And next year, we'll be talking about those players. They're the new Cavallis and the Hunter Greens pitching prospects. Man, they it's like the cream. It rises to the top. Take advantage of that value off the soapbox. Sorry, Frank. My favorite Macho Man Randy Savage promo of all time. 
The cream, oh, yeah. the cream always rises. The cream to the rises to the top, brother. <laughs> I've got two more pictures at Double A that I'm going to lump together, and they come from uh, they come with different levels of pedigree and different expectations coming into the season, but both are crushing it nonetheless. Cole Wynn, who was a first uh, first round pick back in 2018 for the Texas wow. Rangers, he's got a 2.56 ERA and a 0.83 WHIP again at Double A. Is it Rowanzi Contreras or Ronzi? Do you know? I think it, I think it's uh, Ronzi Contreras. Okay, Ronzi Contreras. He was traded to the Pirates in the Jamison Tyone trade. I'm a Yankees fan, so not loving that right now. But he's got a 2.00 ERA and a 0.84 WHIP. Which one are you more excited about in Dynasty? Ooh. You know, it's funny. Cole Wynn is the guy that during uh, this past minor league spring training that we had in April before the season started, Cole Wynn was like one of the first people I got to see in person. Like I got my life back. I'm like, oh, I get to go to a backfield. And I saw Cole Wynn pitching against, I think it was George Kirby. And Wynn was really impressive. And I always liked Wynn. Um so far this year, he's kept batters to a 120 batting average, which is pretty unreal to go with that ERA. Eight games. This is an interesting one that I really like. In eight games that he's pitched, he's only given up four homers. You know, good or bad, whatever. But all four came in only two games. In two games. And um, impressively, uh, ahead of the count, he's just been like massively ahead of the count, as has Ronzi Contreras. If I'm picking between the two, Contreras is actually the most impressive as much as like, like Cole Wynn and I've seen him in person and he was really working on his slider and fastball, but he gets hit on his fastball a little bit too much. Contreras, he's doing it at double A and he's been doing it all year, which is insanely impressive. He's gone five innings in seven of his eight starts this year and he struck out six plus in seven of his eight. And when you compare the two, as far as like getting ahead in counts, once Contreras gets ahead in the count, forget about it. He's got a 0.42 ERA with 39 strikeouts in 21 innings when he gets ahead of you in an account. He has been so impressive and has not given up. Like he hasn't been phased at double A. I think he's 21 years old. Yeah. When I see the young dudes at levels that are higher than probably their maturation, I get super excited as I get critical of like, a 23 year old at low A and they put up big numbers and people are like, Oh, get all excited. I'm more critical there, but a guy like Contreras, I think what he's doing is really, really impressive. And I've got Contreras. I wouldn't say quite a bit. Uh, sometimes the number, you know, if you see a guy at like 125 to 160, people are like, Oh, that's a big gap. It's really not sometimes, but Contreras is like a different tier of pitching prospect just, and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt of just being consistent this entire year, striking out dudes and not wavering off of his success and doing it at a really high level. Contreras is a dude I'd be betting on. Yes. And I do think that the pirates just given their timeline where they're at in their organization, they're going to be really patient with Contreras. So keep that in mind. But yeah, as a dynasty, as a dynasty asset, a lot to like there. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. All right, let's talk a little MLB draft prospects, give you some names to know for your first-year player drafts, maybe later this year, maybe next year. Admittedly, I don't know much Outside of Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, and even with those two, don't really know much. Uh, but that's why I have Chris Welsh, a.k.a. the Welsh, here with me again, host of everything in this league. And, of course, the his prospect pod, which you should all check out. Prospect One, follow him on Twitter, at IsItTheWelsh. Let's start with Jack Leiter, who is, of course, son of Al Leiter, and yeah. Kumar Rocker, the two pitchers from Vanderbilt, who I thought were locks to be top five picks, maybe even the two top picks in the MLB draft. Hype has died down a bit for each of them. Leiter has an electric fastball, but there is some doubt with the secondary stuff. And Kumar Rocker, A-plus name, by the way. Love that. Uh, the best. He, he has nasty stuff, but some wonder if he could wind up as a reliever long-term. Welsh, your mm. thoughts on each, Leiter and Rocker. Um, Kamar, uh, I have a special place in my heart for Kamar. Uh, some people know this. Anyone that's listened to my podcast, Kamar was the very first like athlete I interviewed on the show. He was out here for a thing called the dream series. Um, and it was really actually Simeon Woods Richardson was here at that same time. And I got to interview Kamar and he was really, this was like right before the draft when he was coming out of high school, he wanted to be a first rounder and, and they didn't want to pay the money and they let him go back to Vandy. And he was really committed to that. He's a really smart guy. And back then he said he wanted to work on a changeup because he's been a big two pitch pitcher, great fastball, electric slider, like his slider when it's on, it's so good. He's been toying around with a cutter, trying to throw more of a changeup. He's trying to become more of a complete pitcher but he's had some inconsistent moments. Here's what I would tell you. I think Kamar Rockers is a starting pitcher, and I don't see that wavering for quite some time. Some guys, like, remember, like, Archie Bradley? Archie Bradley got taken off of that starting pitching train pretty quick because he was predominantly a two-pitch pitcher. Kumar, since high school, since the Dream Series, has been trying to develop a third pitch, and we're upwards of four pitches right now, and that slider's going to get him in a lot of places, and he can go deep into games. Obviously, you know, he had the perfect, and um, he's just, he's ha he can fall apart, as all of these guys can, and you know, if his slider isn't biting, his fastball is pretty electric, but guys can sit more and he can start walking some guys and, you know, he can just get a little bit behind. He had 36 walks this year in 111 innings. It's it's nothing, you know, horrid, but it's just right around three in college, which you probably want that to be a little bit less. So I, I've been a Jack Leiter guy. I think Jack Leiter's fastball is insanely electric. He's got 171 strikeouts in 104 innings this year. He's also been a little bit walk heavy though. He's got 42 and between the guys lighters fastball. Like if I'm picking a pitch, you know, I, I would say Kamar Rocker's slider is just, you know, I don't even know what you do with it. I think as a two pitch pitcher, he can survive, but I think he'll be three, but lighter, his fastball is so electric and so pinpoint around that, 
does he have plus plus secondary stuff? I think it's good enough that it, they can continue to develop that the fastball is going to get him in a lot of great places. And if he can go to an organization that can really help develop, you know, the, you get those secondaries to close to plus, And I think he's an ace. So are there relief worries with Kumar? Maybe he slipped. He's no longer going to be the top pitcher even taken. Most likely I think lighter is that guy. So, um, you know, from a dynasty perspective, I hate putting pitchers at the top. I hate doing it. And I had them at the top until we really started to get to feel for what was coming out of high school and maybe like what some of the college guys were, were going to do. And they've been surpassed and you, you should be careful, but lighter and Kumar are going to be probably easy top 35 overall dynasty prospects. And from a pitching perspective, they're not going to be in that, Lighter could go into that tier uh, we talked about in our previous prospect conversation of like, you know, that Grayson um, six tier of like six dough and you've got Alex Manoa, Alec Manoa in there. Like he's either at the bottom of that tier or at the top of the next tier. And Kamar is just a little bit further down uh, and he's probably going to fall outside the top five where Lighter's going to go anywhere from, you know, two to four, most likely. You know, when you were talking about Rocker too, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Tyler Glass now, who currently on the IL, but for a long time, was just known for his two pitches. It was yeah. fastball, it was slider. Uh, this Well, it was curveball this year. He's kind of worked in that like slider-cutter hybrid. So it's not impossible for a prospect to have two amazing pitches and then find out how to bring a third pitch into that mix. No. So it happens. It happens all the time. I, it is tougher. I, it, it, I know I wish there, there should be some like data on this somewhere. There probably is for whatever reason. You'll see guys just like start at, you know, these guys like Bowers, these really heady guys that just add all these pitches. When you see a pitcher that like will go 10% of like with four pitches, let's say for some reason, it seems like those guys can interchangeably just add pitches left and right. But those two pitch pitch guys, because they've grown so accustomed, I don't know why it's so difficult to start to get the third in there, but sliders are easier to cut. So I think that's why like he's found himself uh, being able to, you know, just change the velocity and a little bit of the movement to just actually start having a cutter that's involved in it. And the change up is just something that's got to be developed. But dude, like it's college. Like you don't, he doesn't need it. Yeah. He's, he's blowing high nineties with one of the most ridiculous college sliders. Of course he's getting outs and, and same with lighter, like lighter. He just uses everything else to set you up with the fastball. And um, these guys don't have to be challenged, though they have been challenged a little bit. They've been the best performers. And both of these guys, especially Kumar, like the Kumar relief thing, I just don't buy it. Like, sure, go put the two pitches in the bullpen as a closer. You're an elite closer. You're great. This dude, he goes the distance. He can go really deep into games and doesn't exactly lose himself. These are both great bets. If I'm betting, there's only three pitchers that I really, really want to bet on if I'm having a high first-year player pick, but there is some depth that you can play around with in the later rounds, but I'm not afraid to, to go down with the ship, but if I do, it's going to be with Jack Leiter. All right, so you mentioned they might they have been passed by potentially a trio of high school shortstops in Marcelo no. Meyer, Jordan Lawler, and Khalil Watson. I'm not going to act like I know anything about these guys, but based on what I read, uh, Meyer projects plus hit and power. Prospects Live said he might even be a Xander Bogarts type player in the future. Uh, Lawler, plus hitter, gap to gap, above average speed. Khalil Watson, big pop, projects as an average hitter. Uh, Welsh, how would you rank the three? Meyer, Lawler, Watson. 
I, I will add one thing too. Uh, something I've been doing for this entire month is I've had a focus on my show prospect one with, um, with, with college and the draft and stuff like that. Cause we talk about everything and I've had multiple people on Joe Doyle from prospects live I had Carlos Comanares from, um, uh, from, I said Colmenares. That's hilarious. Carlos Colazzo. Colmenares. Carlos Colmenares is a, a shortstop prospect from Rays. I was like, wait, uh, you Colazzo. had the prospect? You had the prospect on your podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah the prospect, I got the prospects on my, uh, from Baseball America. And we've been talking about these. The one thing I want to point out is in most circles, it's actually seen as the big four shortstops. Brady okay. House is thrown into that. I don't exactly throw him into that same mix but most circles consider all of those guys so brady is kind of the the difference maker of all of them yeah i mean these are great sites that are going to have really great takes on these players that have seen them a lot marcella meyer almost consensusly is the most complete player across the board uh with plus skills great contact has got speed a really good extension uh he could chase a little bit on the lower he's i like his swing he's just step in really good motion i think he's just a really complete player um i've heard like dansby swanson so maybe he's like somewhere between whatever dansby swanson's and a bogart's type is but that kind of gives you a vibe of like maybe you're going to be in the 10 double low double digit stolen bases 25 to 30 plus homer power, you know, impact number three hitter. The guy I love is Khalil Watson. That's my guy. I've got Khalil Watson number two on my first year player list. And he might be um, the lower floor player, but he might have the highest ceiling of all these guys. He is an incredible bat speed. Some of the most exciting, he's the most electric player, I think, in this draft. Huge bat speed. He's a power-speed combo, just been crushing homers so far. I think he's patient in the zone, which is really interesting because a lot of people will comp that he's kind of raw, but he's a raw player with plus zone bat skills. Like, he's a great contact hitter. He's just raw in positionally of what he's learning, everything like that. He's a little bit smaller. He's like around 5'9", 5'10", but I think he's just like a complete package of excitement. And in first-year player drafts, unless there's something that's so locked in, I want to shoot for the moon. I want to go on the high end. So Khalil Watson is my guy. Jordan Lawler is the other one. A uh, solid five-tool player. I think I, I think he just is like the one little tiny notch down from Meyer. There's good power in there. Is he going to run? He's a projectable body. They're all very close, but it's Meyer, Watson, Lawler, and then Brady House, who Brady House is just like a bigger, I think he could be a third base guy, though he's got pretty good skills in there. He's a big power play. I don't think there's a whole lot of speed, but hits the ball really, really hard plus plat power over all these guys. And he could be Brady house could be the guy that gets a deal cut and could go above Lawler and above Watson. So that's, what's going to confuse people uh, with some of this is, you know, he's got some really great offensive skills uh, for a big bodied guy who could stay at shortstop and he might go above them. But for me, it's Meyer Watson Lawler and then house for the big four shortstops. Well, she talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to just pick your brain about your general approach in first-year player drafts for Dynasty Leagues. Are you more likely to take that, well, it sounds like, based on what you said, uh, take that big swing for the upside, high school, long-term projectable pieces, or do you value something like proximity a little bit closer? Someone like uh, a college pitcher or even a college catcher who we're going to talk about, Henry Davis from Louisville. Um, Yeah. What do you value more when it comes to first-year player drafts? Proximity is such a good question. It's the best question because there there are so many people. This is why first-year player drafts are not unanimous because um, the, the dynasty owner that is only about winning now, they don't care about Khalil Watson. They don't care about Meyer. I guarantee you the guy that's in win-now mode is looking at lighter or rocker. Those are the two that they want. Um, I'm a mix, and I would tell you I'm 
I'm not afraid to go in. Like I've been, you know, I go in on international players. I'll draft them high. Did it with Wander Franco back in like 18, 17. Um, I will go in on that. And I'm not afraid of high school bats. I'm a little bit more afraid of high school pitching, but I will consider the proximity up. Not in this draft though. This draft is not a college bat positive place. It really isn't. Even Henry Davis. And Henry Davis, it's the worst case scenario. Hey, who's the best college hitter to make a bet on? A catcher. I don't want to bet on catching. Even Adley Rutschman was like a little bit unique. Henry Davis is up there, but do I want to want to take him that high? I, I just don't know if I do. I think he's a he's a great, exciting athlete, great hit. I watch him a bunch. He can steal bases. It's kind of like the Dalton Varsho stuff where he steals at a high clip, hits massive big bomb homers, makes great contact. He's a really fun player. But in this draft particularly, I'm looking to swing for the fence. If I don't feel that there's lockdown consistency, I'm looking to swing for the fence. And you know what? As I'm saying this, I'm not, maybe I'm not as proximity as ever because take a couple years ago, that big draft where you had uh, Andrew Vaughn, Andrew Vaughn, Adley, Bobby Witt, CJ Abrams. I had Bobby Witt over Andrew Vaughn, and that was not a po- popular take because Andrew Vaughn was the college bat. He's going to be closer, uh, this, that, the other thing. And I was always Bobby Witt over him. So if I feel locked in to the upside, I always want to play the upside. Also, because like, I'm comfortable with drafts and I know I'm going to be able to pick guys in the second and third round. You don't win your leagues um, with the first year player draft at the top unless you get an absolute no brainer. And this is not a no brainer draft. Unfortunately, this is the least no brainer draft of all. If you want to not worry, you probably do take Jack lighter near the top, but uh, I want to swing for the fences in this one. And that's why, you know, four short stops at the top. It's a good, good place to swing. I want to focus a little bit more on Henry Davis, who you mentioned, a uh, catcher there for Louisville. Does he have Adley Rutschman type upside? And do you see Henry Davis sticking at catcher? I actually looked at a mock draft from Prospects Live, and they have Henry Davis going first overall. I think this one came out like early June, yeah. so it's might have changed. It, it might have changed since then. But what do you think about Davis? Does he stick at catcher? Does he have that Adley Rutschman type upside? Yeah. Um, I do think he stays a catcher. I think he's one of, I mean, he established himself as the top catcher. Now, catchers don't have to stay at that position. There's a guy I absolutely love. He's a high school guy that I think could not, uh, Harry Ford, who I think could move off of that. He's one of my favorite lower bats. And you're also seeing it more like Tyler, Tyler Soderstrom, is, uh, who's just drafted by the A's. He's turned himself into a top 50 overall prospect, and he's playing some first base while also catching because teams more and more Potentially could be uh, this is something I was talking about um, with Carlos on, uh, on on prospect one that teams could potentially be putting less of a weight on like this incredible, you know, catcher who can throw and frame and all this stuff because the, the future of robot robot arms that teams are also not willing to hold back impact bats just to develop as a catcher. And I think teams are finding better ways to go through it. Like Francisco Mejia is an example. Like I just don't think he's that good, but you know, they get him back there and he, you know, they took him off the position for a while and you can just make it work. Harry, uh, uh, sorry, Henry Davis is a guy that I think is a long-term stick at that position. But what's unique about it is I've seen some mocks where he's gone to Baltimore. And how do you do that? You know, how do you move through those guys that it could he play first? He absolutely could. Um, I think he's just he's not Adley Rutschman, but he's unique in that he possesses like a tear down of all those skills. He's just he's a good catcher. He's a great hitter. He can run. I think he could play first base if they wanted him to. And teams are looking at him because they're so. Everyone's lacking confidence, I think, in what you're going to get out of this draft that 
if they can go to Henry Davis and they can say, hey, you know, we'll take you one overall, but will you take a million under slot? That uh, enables a team later to take uh, to overslot a player. You know, there's a couple big impact guys that uh, had Tommy John that blew out their arms that and there's high school guys that are questionable. Will they be will they sign that team? That's and I think that's why I'm saying is like if you see Henry Davis go like one or two, I think it's because of the potential of saving a little bit of money, but also he's safe. He's safe as safe can get if you don't want to go college pitching. And that's what's unique about Henry Davis. I just, for fantasy, catchers, eh, I don't know, get crazy into catchers. Yeah. Also, I have I have this weird thing. I don't know if you have it. I have weird quirks. I hate dudes that don't wear gloves. Like, I, I'm <laughs> over it because, like, Kyle Tucker, he's doing good. But whenever I see a guy without a glove, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. That's, I just, 60 to 55, buddy. Can't trust that guy. Can't yeah. trust a, a batter who doesn't wear batting gloves. Just uh, dumb quirk of mine. It's interesting that you bring up the possibility of him being mocked to the Baltimore Orioles because the uh, Adley Rutschman has played some games at first base this year. So yeah, maybe I would that's... love I would give everything to get. I, I said this in that one draft, that draft, the Andrew Vaughn draft. If Adley were a first baseman. I think he would be the number one overall pick in that because like he's like it's like Goldschmidt. I always compared it. It's like Goldschmidt type power. Such a good bat. I mean, he's going to be like a close to 300 hitter, 30 plus power, middle of the order. Uh, he's he's four four of the five category uniquely impacted player. But the problem is, if he's only in 120 games, it just limits his value. If he's a first baseman. Baby, we're going. I mean, he's going up. He he's more valuable than Andrew Vaughn. And if if they said today he's going to be first base. I think you could him or Torque are in the same comparison. Yeah, Rutschman has started 11 of 43 games at Double A at first base this season. So we shall hmm. see. Yeah, and, the, and, and the Giants did it. The Giants they had Joey Bart, and then they took Patrick Bailey um, in the whatever last year, whatever draft it was. And Patrick Bailey was like a hardcore defensive catcher after they had already taken Bart. But what did they do? Bart started playing some first teams. And I also think it's a strategy of teams in the future. They're just going to want to carry like two or three guys that can play catcher and they could just move players around and having the versatility of playing first and catcher Bart Bailey. It works out. Adley Henry Davis. They might work out. All right. I kept it here long enough. Welsh, but you sent me a few names. So we'll just wrap up with these. Anything that you'd like to add? I have I have two college hitters in Sal Freelich and Matt McLean. And then two other high school names. Uh, you already brought up Harry Ford, but he is a catcher in high school. And then Jackson Job, who is a high school pitcher. Anything that you would like to add on those names before we wrap up? Uh, Job might be the most electric of anybody. I mean, we're talking maybe two or three of the best pitches in all of it, like high school and college. Uh, people love him. He uh, it's just high school. It's risky. But uh, I mean, two plus pitches. That's a guy that if you're going to bank on a high school pitcher, bank on him. I love Harry Ford. Uh, huge, big power swing. But he's like 5'10". He's as a catcher. I'd love to see him move positionally off of that. Like I told you with Adley Rutschman, he's a guy that I would bank on. And Matt McClain is an interesting guy to watch at UCLA. The Diamondbacks took him in the first round in 2018. There's actually rumors that they might look to take him again. Again at six, uh, he kind of fell off, came back up. He's a good player, nothing uniquely, um, you know, no big, huge power, no big speed, but he's a player that is going to be taken most likely in the top 10. And he'll probably, he has a chance to be the second college bat. Self relic is the other one who has got just, you know, those like Andrew ben Benintendi vibes of like, you know, smaller dude who can tap into some, some power, really, really good batting average. Frelick and McLean are going to battle it out 
most likely as the top college hitter that isn't uh, Henry Davis. And those are what a lot of the people in proximity are going to care about. They're going to care about those college bats. And there's a potential for them to go to some uniquely. I mean, there's some teams in there. Colorado, if they take a hitter, if they took a South Frelick, Colorado bat, that gets exciting. But uh, Job. Four, those are two guys I'm really locked into in high school and uh, still like Matt McClain. I still like him as a contact hitter. I think he could be a good number two or number one hitter uh, wherever he goes. He is the Welsh host of everything in this league. And of course, make sure to check out his Prospect One podcast. He's been diving very deep into all these MLB draft prospects. So if uh, if you're looking forward to that for your first year player drafts, definitely look for it. And you can find him on Twitter at is it the Welsh. Appreciate your time, buddy. If you if there's anything else that you've got going on that you'd like to promote, let me know. Yeah, no, just uh, check out the Twitter handle, check out the shows, and uh, if people want to check out my list, my Dynasty list, my prospect stuff, patreon.com slash army. they can check that out. But always, always, my friend, Frankie Stamps, having me on. I appreciate it. Yes, appreciate your time. For the Welsh, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again some other time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.